What if I don't want a Mercedes? Am I really just thinking too small? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, welcome in. Welcome to August. Can you believe we're already in August 2019? Hey, we're going to be looking at 2020. Isn't that a cool kind of sound? 2020? Geez, you want 2020 vision? There's all kinds of things we ought to be able to do as we anticipate rolling into the year 2020. Well, I hope you're ready. Hey, here's some of the questions we're going to be looking at today. Somebody says, Dan, I hate this job. Actually, that's more of a success story than it is a complaint. You'll hear that. How about this one, Dan? I'm currently without a job. I was fired June 25th from a job I thrived at. Here's another one. Uh, we had so much business, we had to hire people, but now there went the profit. All right, well, look at that. Everyone seems to talk about building a list, but no one really speaks to what you do if you have no list. Here's another one. As a single dad with $20,000 in debt, I don't know how to get my idea to the marketplace. And then the one I referenced in the opening, what if I don't want a Mercedes? Is that really an upper limit challenge or something I truly don't care about? Well, I love that. Last week I talked about the upper limit challenge and how to break through that, how oftentimes we sabotage our opportunity for success because we don't think we deserve it. We bump up against what we think we deserve, what our family tradition kind of indicates, and we sabotage that. Well, had some interesting feedback and got a question we're going to get to here about that very thing. How do you know if it's really an upper limit challenge or if it's something you truly just don't care about and don't want? Great, great question. We'll kind of unpack that. Here's a quotation for today, and it's, well, just me kind of ranting because here it is. You can get fired from a job, but you can't get fired from your passion. So find your passion and you can always create work that matters for people who care. All right. We'll end with that again as we go through some of these questions. Here's a resource. Understanding who you are, what opportunities are out there is the first step toward creating the future you're excited about. So we've got an 11-page workbook, and that's totally free. It's just a resource. We've got lots of them. I talk about them every week here. This one is, who are you and why are you here? So if you go to 48days.com slash why, you'll find that resource, 48days.com why. Well, here's some good news. Let's cover some good news tips, and then we'll go into the questions. Here's some California professors. Now, I really like this idea. I just, I like the thinking. This is not a political statement in any way. I just like the thinking here. So there's a couple of California professors who placed seesaws across the U.S.-Mexico border so children can play together. Now, this is just an experiment. But what they did, of course, there's a massive wall. It's miles and miles and miles long. But it's vertical slats, they placed through the slats, teeter-totter. So there's a seat seat on either side with a long wooden bar that runs through there. Well, guess what happened? I mean, immediately, 
kids started playing on there. Adults showed up and started playing on there. I just like this approach. I mean, this is not, you know, carrying posters and protesting or doing any kind of radical thing, but just simply to see, you know, how do people really relate together when they have the opportunity, even if there's a supposed political difference or wall or country border or religious differences between them, golly, given the opportunity, they jump on either side of a seesaw. You can check this out. It's just a cool story. And I really, really like what's, um, what they did there. You know, it's funny in the, in the comments on this story, somebody said, what's a teeter totter? What's a teeter totter? What's a teeter totter? Don't you remember a teeter totter from when you were a kid, a seesaw? You know, we don't have them much anymore. We've gone to all kinds of sophisticated toys, but golly, we used to just build those. I and mean, it's pretty easy to do. Just have a long stick and have something in the middle. It can be a barrel. It can be all kinds of things. It can be a fence, but a one kid on one side, one kid on the other, they create lots of, I have lots of fond memories of being on teeter-totters. Well, here's, here's a good story. Millionaire helps a boy after viral photo shows him doing his homework on a sidewalk under a street lamp. Now, this is something you could only make up. It sounds like a fairy tale, but it's really not. There was a video clip of a little boy in Peru doing homework under a street lamp. Well, security officers officers took a picture of it and the picture went viral. So it caught the attention of all kinds of people who were in a position to help. Now, the first person to respond to this dedicated young guy doing his homework was the city's mayor. He learned that Victor, the young boy, was using a street light due to having no electricity in the family's home. Victor's mother didn't just lack the money to pay. There was a really big obstacle, and that is she didn't have the documents to prove that she owned the home where they were needed to legally install electric service. So the mayor helped Rosa through the process so she could get the deed to the house that she really did own. Then he also delivered school supplies to support Victor's desire to stay in school and his desire to grow up and be a police officer. Well, there was somebody else who saw this 31 year old Ayagub, who is a millionaire importer and chocolatier from Bahrain. So he was moved by Victor's determination reminded of his own poor childhood. So he flew nearly halfway around the world to meet this young Victor and his family. So when this guy arrived and May saw the condition of Victor's home and school, he decided to rebuild the house that they lived in, adding a second story for bedrooms. He promised to update the school's infrastructure, adding furniture and equipping a new computer center in Victor's honor. And then he also had the opportunity, took the opportunity to start the mom, Rosa, in a starting a small business. So they did all of those things. You know, he really helped the young kid out. Now, sometimes somebody like this swoops in and just does their good deed and then they're gone. This guy's been back. He's coming back continuously to see that this really is making a difference. What a great story. Saw a picture of a little boy studying, doing his homework, 
on the street, laying on his stomach on the street under a street light to do his homework. And somebody responded and changed the young kid's life. Well, I like that. I like that a lot. Hey, you got a story here. I want to, I want to share this, an audio clip from Jessica Gardner, who lives right here near where I do. Uh, just uh, without any explanation, you'll get the gist of this. Just a great story. Hi, Dan. It's Jess Gardner from right here in Brentwood, Tennessee. I wanted to share a quick win. I just got a dream job today. And you know what? I am a stay-at-home mom. I've been a stay-at-home mom for almost 10 years. But listening to you, to your podcast, reading your books, listening to positive, encouraging words and affirmations from those around me in my circles, from my mastermind group that I joined because of joining Eagles. You know what? I believe in myself and I decided to go for it. I saw a job posting on Dave Ramsey's website. That is where I wanted to work. I applied three weeks later, y'all. I got a job offer today, today. I have not been in the workplace in almost 10 years, but they saw the passion and the desire within me. They see that I'm teachable, that I'm hungry to learn, and that I'm so excited and grateful to be in this position. Do I have all the necessary skills yet? Not yet, but they will come. I just wanted to say thank you. Dan knows his stuff. Listen, believe, and believe in yourself. You can do this. If I can do it as a stay-at-home mom returning to work, so can you. Well, thank you, Jessica. Golly, what a great testimonial about your own perseverance and taking action, getting clear in what you do. I know they're not going to hire you at Dave Ramsey's unless you're real clear about what value you bring to the organization. So congratulations on making that clear, getting an opportunity there. Golly, you'll be going to the brand new campus right down here where I live. Um, 47 acres of new buildings that the Dave Ramsey organization has built and just moved into this month. So that'll be exciting, certainly exciting for you. Congratulations again on that. Well, here's a note comes from Susan Miller. Now this this is uh, this is I think this is a success story. You can determine it when I read it to you. She titled it "I Hate This Job." She says, "Hi Dan, I hate this dry bulk cement trucking job, soul sucking, time eating job, working approximately sixty hours per week. I will be getting a financial settlement in the next month and want to invest some of the money in an online business. I can start with maybe a thousand dollars. I write books and I'll publish them on Amazon. I'll spend some time selling products online as well." I bought your right to the bank course. Um, I have spent time on your site and podcast learning about what you offer, including all your books and resources. I've enjoyed recent books you recommended by Chris Gilbu, among others. Chris has that new book out, a hundred side businesses. It's really awesome. Uh, Susan says, I've got money to invest in myself and my online businesses would rather spend my time in my own business than working this low paying time consuming job. Um, my monthly expenses are low. I can get another one of these jobs in a day if I want to, but I'd rather not. I've done podcasts myself over the years, still have good equipment, software, several shows I'd like to do. Imagine blocking out time in my days for several of my online projects. Time is what I need. 
I will have time soon. Thank you, Susan Miller. Well, it sounds like you're ready for a transition. I don't know what kind of settlements you're getting, but if it gives you a little financial cushion and you invest a little in yourself and getting up to speed in an online business, there are so, so many options. I had a coaching call yesterday with a gentleman who's in a really solid place financially, and we're just expanding his thinking, his ability to see and imagine new ideas. There, you've got to you know, do whatever you need to do. If it's reading books, if it's picking up copies of Fast Company and business startups and Entrepreneur and Inc. magazines like that, you know, pick those up, go to the back, just look at some of the ideas there. Watch Shark Tank. I mean, do whatever it takes to expand your list of what you think ideas there are out there. I mean, if you do a search for small business opportunities or franchises, you're going to get hundreds and hundreds of suggestions. Use those things to expand your own ideas about what you can do. And then what I recommend, follow your passion, follow your curiosity. Don't just artificially select something that you don't really care about, but just see it as a way to make money. That doesn't work. You'll burn out. There's too many challenges in starting your own business. You better combine it with something that you enjoy. If you do that, then you've got a great opportunity to move on into extraordinary success. Well, here's a question. Um, Dale says, my boy started a business a few years back. It's getting busy and they've hired people to help. Now they aren't making much money. And I'm not sure they know how to adjust prices to the point where they are making money without losing clients. Do you have any suggestions? Well, sure. Yeah, I do. I mean, be realistic about the overall cost of running a business. Now, you didn't share what that is. I don't know what it is. But let's say that you uh, charge someone $60 to mow their yard. So you've got 10 of those to do. So you're generating $600 a week. And now you pay someone else $20 to do the actual mowing on a yard. So the question is then, do you have a $40 profit? Well, probably not. You're still going to have the cost of the mower, the gasoline you put in it, maybe a truck to get your equipment to the location, uh, maybe a rented warehouse that you're paying monthly on to store your equipment. You've got website hosting, advertising, accounting, personal and IRS taxes, I mean, all those things are going to really eat away. And, and when you start a small entrepreneurial business, it's easy to think, well, if I bought something for $4 and sold it for 8 I just made $4. No, you certainly did not. You need to be realistic about the cost of running a business that are going to eat up a whole lot of that. So I would just suggest you do that. Start with what you're getting on a particular job, but then realistically build in all the costs that you have in your business I mean, we have a lot of software programs that we use to make our business run. You know, Shopify and ConvertKit and MailChimp and all the, goes on and on and on. Kajabi, other things, Mighty Networks. I mean, those are all things we pay monthly on. So those are all little tiny costs that are connected to every transaction that we make. We have to build those things in. So you need to do that so you have a realistic view of what your real profit is. Then decide, all right, well, how much can I pay somebody else to do that? And if I pay somebody else to do that, there's nothing left. Yeah, there's there's a problem in the business itself. You know, is this business going to be profitable in being a real business? And that's a real that's a real key transition here as well. If you've got something that where you're doing the work, let's go back to just mowing yards, and you don't have enough profit margin to hire somebody else to do that, what you've done in essence is create a job for yourself. 
It's not really a business in a true sense. A business implies that you can walk away, that you can go to the beach for a week or whatever, and your business continues to generate income. If it does not, then you probably have a job. You're self-employed. Nothing wrong with that at all. No shame in that at all. But be clear, it's probably not really a business. You're self-employed and that's it. So if you want to move to a business and you have to have enough margin in there that you can hire other people to do the work or have something that creates residual income where it may be a course that you created. Now you've got it online. So people have the opportunity to purchase it, you know, 3 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, that's a business. If you've got something that has a potential to create income when you're not actually there. Um, Shoney says, I'm currently without a job. I was fired June 25th from the job I thrived at. It was a challenge almost every day, but I was helping educate people on their benefits. There was absolutely no training for it. I trained myself for three years. Just as I was gaining confidence, a series of changes happened in my department. The final blow was a new vice president with a very tough personality, zero coaching ability, zero tolerance for what I didn't know I didn't know. I was excited that we had someone in charge to bring order and coaching. I had no idea I would end up getting fired. I want to use this time as a springboard into the work I love. I'm just not sure what to do next. I have no real dream other than thinking that I may be able to thrive in real estate. Any guidance? Well, yeah, Shoney. I mean, this is a great time to go back and revisit what you know about yourself. I mean, times of change are great opportunities to kind of reset the clock, take a fresh look at who are you and where are you going? So you want to take a fresh look. Don't just artificially choose something again or just get a job because you think you could make money there. Now, take this opportunity to really look at what are your unique skills and abilities? What are your personality traits? What are your values, dreams, and passions? I mean, those are the things that you want to look at. And if you do that, then you can, with confidence, boldness, and enthusiasm, present yourself as a candidate for your next opportunity. Well, hey, great questions as always. Thank you so much for sending those in. Uh, You can go to any page on 48days.com and you'll see a little microphone somewhere over on the right-hand side. You can just start talking as Jessica did with the audio we shared just a minute ago. You can do that. If you want to share a success story or a question that you've got, and you can also just shoot an email to me at askdan at 48days.com. That's the way most people do it. Askdan at 48days.com. Well, this one comes from Gary, who says, what's the best way to approach the company you work for or a company you don't work for about creating a new position that you're well-suited for and you believe will be beneficial for them? Thanks for your help and for the ongoing uplifting content. Well, thanks for your question, Gary. Yeah, you can do that. I mean, this is a really legitimate way. The best opportunities are not just those where there's a job posting. We need somebody who can, you know, type 120 words a minute, who knows data input, who knows a little bit of graphic. No, the best opportunities are ones where you design it based on what it is that you do well. Now, Dave Ramsey's organization has grown dramatically over the years. They have over 850 people at this point, but a whole lot of those early people came in because they described to Dave what they could do that had value that would add to what he was trying to do to spread the message about financial responsibility. They just 
they created a position based on what they said they could do well. That's still a real legitimate way to do it. Identify exactly what value you would bring to the organization. And you can do that if it's a company that you're currently working for, or if it's a company that you want to work for. So either way, yeah, that's a very legitimate way to get a new opportunity. Craft it yourself. Don't wait for the company to have to describe what it is they need. See a need and you describe what you could do to fill that need and more. I mean, that's, again, that, that happens more than you might think in ways that people are getting new opportunities. Well, this comes from Aaron who says, no clients mean no business. Can you answer, he says, Dan, can you answer a question either directly or on your podcast regarding list building? And incidentally, you know, the, the questions we get, it is easier for me to answer them here on the podcast, to take the time to really type things out. Now, our team does a whole lot of that because we have a whole lot of standard questions that come in and we have pretty well identified, templated answers for those. And that's fine. But the ones that are a little bit of a different twist, yeah, those are the ones I obviously pull out and we can just talk about here in the podcast. So Aaron says, everyone seems to talk about building a list, but no one really speaks to what you do if you don't have a list. I could blanket my friends and family with a mass email, but that's spamming the most important people in my life. What are your suggestions for who to who and how to make an ask for emails? add to an email list when no list already exists and you're just starting out. All right. Now I'm going to tell you how I started out, but let me talk you about some things that people are doing right now. And we see this happen a lot. I mean, there's a gentleman who came through our coaching mastery program. He didn't have an audience, but he really wanted to establish himself. I mean, he had a background in, in construction, so he didn't really have a background at all that would lend itself to, you know, having a list. He didn't, he didn't write a, have a blog, he didn't have a website. He didn't have anything at that point, but he identified clearly what he wanted to do in the first year. Now this would have been in 2016. He was on 176 podcast. Other people's podcast. He was a guest. He had a really compelling story. A few years prior to that, he had hit a pedestrian and killed him and it really changed his life. He was telling that story in about a 15 minute kind of overview of what happened. But then he was telling people how he could help them. And he had a free lead magnet. He had something he was giving them free. Now, this is a great way to do this. This is a great way to build a list. So if I'm on a podcast, I'm going to have, I was on one recently and we created a download for that that was 48days.com slash secret. So listeners would go to that and they would get a free resource, actually three free resources by doing that. Well, in doing so, we capture their emails. So they become part of our list and you can grow like that. Now, when I was on, I mean, when I was on Dave Ramsey the last time on the uh, Entree Leadership podcast, we had a free resource. I think it's probably still there. I think it's probably still up there. Yeah, I think if you go to 48days.com slash Dave, you'll probably still see it. But that's the kind of thing that I do every single time I'm interviewed. And in doing that, I think with the, I think with Dave's like that, I think we added like 1,200 names that one day to our list by doing that. So that's a way if you, you can borrow other people's audiences, but you can't just go and say, give me your emails. But you, if you are on somebody else's 
podcast or their radio show or TV or whatever, and you offer a free resource, you can have that be when somebody gives you their email, you give them that resource. Very legitimate way to do that. And we've added thousands and thousands of people to our list over the years. But now let me go back a little bit farther. You know, because so many people these days think, well, what do I need to do? You know, in Facebook ads, Pinterest, Instagram, you know, LinkedIn, all these hot things that we've got to use. Well, guess what? You really don't. I mean, I started what I'm doing. I started coaching before any of those things were available. I guess that dates me a little bit, but think how recently, I mean, podcast started really as a word in 2004. That was 15 years ago. I started my podcast, the one you're listening to now, in December of 2009. So it's almost 10 years ago, 10 years ago. So that's really very recent. So I started coaching people before any of these things were available, before we had blogs, podcasts, LinkedIn, Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, any of those, before any of those existed. Of course, we've seen a whole lot of other things like MySpace, Yahoo, and AOL in between that came and went. But I was back before we had any of those tools. So what was I doing? I was doing a free weekly seminar. Actually, I started teaching a Sunday school class. You've heard me talk about that. So I was teaching a Sunday school class. I wasn't growing a business. I was teaching a Sunday school class. And people kept asking for more materials. They asked for things that they could give to their son-in-law who had been without work for four months. They wanted something that they could share with their cousin who was struggling, you know, and, and so they more and more asked for things. And I started putting things together. And then I had a website where people could go to get those resources. Then I moved that Sunday school class to a Monday night presentation, what we called career transitions so that other people could come from other churches, other states, other communities and all that. And we grew that, did that for really eight years, met on Monday nights. So I was doing that. Well, we would usually have 70 or 80 people there. And that was on Monday night. And on Tuesday morning, the phone would ring. Gee, how soon can I get in to see Dan? I mean, it just, it was, it was just kept my funnel full, just doing that very one thing. But on that Monday night program, I had eight modules that I would go through. Now, you could come at any time. We encourage people to stay for all eight. But they included various things like resumes, job search, negotiating salary, starting your own business. There were eight of them. So, and then we would just repeat them. So I just went through that. And because it was free, it was promoted heavily in the Tennessean, the local newspaper, the Nashville Business Journal, Franklin Herald, other local newspapers, people would promote that because it was a free opportunity for people to come and learn about how to handle these career transitions. Well, guess what else it was? It was a great marketing tool for me to have people then purchase my books, sign up for my workshops and seminars, request coaching, get involved in our communities, all those things. Just that one simple thing. Now, I also, in that period of time, and incidentally, in terms of having a list, In August of 2000, I sent out my first electronic newsletter. We had been doing a physical newsletter. Now think about the mechanics of doing that. I mean, there's about a six-week delay in having things go out in a physical newsletter just because the time sequence, getting things laid out, printed, in the mail, sent out, delivered, and all that. Well, so I, I decided to go with a electronic newsletter. 
In August of 2000, I sent that out to the 67 people whose email addresses I had. And yes, it did include family and friends. And I said, hey, I'm going to do this every week. If you don't want it, let us know. We'll take you off the list if you like it. You know, and want to share it with friends, feel free to do that. Well, that's grown rather nicely over the years. Now, we know we've had over 140,000 people who have signed up for that. Uh, now, some of those come and go. I mean, email addresses change dramatically. So we don't always have that kind of a number, but a whole lot of people continue to sign up for that because people share it. So it's been a powerful tool for us, no question about it. But I started writing as well for the Nashville Business Journal. Now, what I did there, and in terms of building a list, your question here, and I you know, love your question, Aaron, I started writing, I didn't start writing a column. I kind of misspoke that. I started writing letters to the editor, the Nashville Business Journal. So they didn't ask anything of me. They didn't ask me to submit content, but I started writing. What do you do if you have worked for General Motors all your life, and then they close the Saturn plant here in Spring Hill, Tennessee? You know, what do you do if you're 53 years old and have only worked for one company and then lose your job? So I would write a little piece on that. And I would write on what are the five fatal flaws in interviewing? Well, I wrote those just as letters to the editor, but people reading it didn't really understand that it was a letter to the editor rather than a commissioned column. Because the response of those, then the Nashville Business Journal did contact me and said, hey, we've got people saying they want to see more of what you're contributing. Would you be willing to do a weekly column? And I said, yes. And I did that for four years. So there was another way that I was getting new people added to our list, dramatic numbers, you know, back in the early days when I was starting again, before we had all this sophisticated social media technology that we have today. Now, because my primary focus was a Sunday school class at church, that's how all this started. I also had a lot of local pastors who were referring people to me because of my leadership role at Christ church my friend Dave Ramsey was promoting me on his growing radio show that was back when he was just starting his radio show. So he was promoting every day, 48 days to the work you love. Gee, you're making $40,000 and you got three kids. And when I have, you know, the wife, the mom of the family stay home and take care of the kids. Gee, the numbers won't work. You're going to have a hard time getting out of debt, never doing anything financially. You need to make more money. You need to get my buddy Dan Miller's book, 48 Days to the Work You Love. That was that infamous three-ring binder that we had with a little cassettes, a couple of cassettes in it. We were sending that out. So our list was growing about 1,000 people a week just from Dave, Dave Ramsey listeners. Well, then, I, then I would also, I was writing lessons for Lifeway. Lifeway produces a Sunday school curriculum for the Southern Baptist. They wanted some of my content. I was writing content. Now think about how that comes across. That doesn't come across as, gee, Dan took out an ad in a magazine or put up a billboard. It doesn't come across as advertising at all. It comes across as a very credible resource. My denomination trusted this guy enough to have him write content for our Sunday school class to study. And I did that over a period of several years as well, every quarter. So four times a year, there would be new content that went out to over 400,000 faithful Sunday school attendees, and they would see the content that I wrote. I mean, what a cool thing. But those are all things that I did. Now, you, you hear 
in those. There was nothing that I was spending money on. I've never had a budget for advertising. There's way too many opportunities to spread the word without having to pay for it. Still is. There's so many opportunities today. Not a question about it, but, you know, do those kind of things. So again, I, and I would, I would speak at Rotary Clubs. I would do career days, at universities, or I'd get involved and, and again, offer to be a presenter at those kind of things. I presented at Vanderbilt University, Trevecca, Lipscomb, Belmont, many, many times in those early years. Those are all universities that are right here in Nashville. And I would have the opportunity to go in and speak, you know, sometimes to the graduating seniors. But those are the kind of things that I did that filled my funnel in terms of coaching clients in those early years. And those are all still things that you can do. So just decide what is it you're going to do, but then be consistent about doing it. You've heard me talk about, you know, with podcasting as an example, the average number of episodes in a podcast in its entire existence is seven, seven episodes. That's the average because people start and two months later, they're saying, ah, gee, nobody's listening. Nobody cares. And they stop. I mean, don't do that. If you think you've got a good enough idea to initiate a podcast, then do it for a year without questioning yourself, without looking over your shoulder. Do it for a year. If you're going to blog, same thing. Do it for a year. You know, those, those, that's the kind of timeline that I work with. Now, do you do it forever if it doesn't work? No. I mean, I'm not one to just say, you know, just keep persistent if it's been five years and you have, you know, 20 readers or listeners. No, try something else. But give it a shot, at least on the front end, as a timeline where you really do have a chance to build an audience. Great question. Well, Marco says, Dan, I'm an artist and an inventor. I'm currently working as a painter. And I assume by that you mean like painting apartments or painting walls, not as an artist. I'm currently working as a painter, making the best of it, but it's not my passion. Plus, it's wearing me out physically. Okay, there we go. I guess that's a clue. Yeah, you really are a painter. I'm 52. I feel the pain every day. Would really like to do my art and get my ideas into the marketplace. I have lots of great ideas and many inventions. Golly, how cool. One invention in particular I have even made a prototype for. But as a single dad with $20,000 in debt, I don't know how to get my idea to the marketplace. I know I need a patent and want to get it trademarked, but I have no capital or any idea how to move forward. Thanks, Marco. You know, I didn't check. I should have checked to see if you're a member of our Eagles community. I certainly hope you are because everything that you're asking here is really available there. Just this last week, I did a bonus call with Autumn Boyd, who's an attorney. And we talked at length about patents, trademarks, copyrights, what you need to do, what you don't need to waste your money on, but how to approach that. Also, very active in our 40 Days Eagles community is Steve Sponseller. Steve is an attorney. He's a trademark and patent attorney. You can find him easily, Steve Sponseller. Those last name is S-P-O-N-S-E-L-L-E-R. And I'll put that link in our show notes. But Steve's a great guy, generous spirit. I just, uh, he's really great contributor to our community. He has a brand new product up, as a matter of fact. Now this, again, I'm, well, I'm recording this on the very last day of July, just depending on when you're listening to it, just today, Steve introduced a new product, a new course, Invention Protection Blueprint. 
It's really, really well done. It's very inexpensive. And I'll put a link to that as well. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Invention Protection Blueprint. This is a step-by-step training that teaches you how to protect your critical inventions, how to do it quickly and inexpensively while achieving patent pending status. Now there's some real, you know, this is something you don't want to mess around with. You don't want to try to just bootstrap yourself. You want some help if you really have something worth getting a patent for. Now there are some things that are not worth getting a patent for. I mean, if you, I mean, I have people send me ideas like, gee, I want to, you know, present to McDonald's the idea of having, instead of the little squeeze packets for the ketchup, have a little cup that they put it in because it's easier to to dunk your French fries in it. That doesn't have any value. Now, it, it may sound like a good idea, but there's really, there's nothing to patent there. Certainly trademark doesn't apply. You know, it's, it's just an idea. And trust me, They've probably had that idea and many, many more. So don't get caught up in something that is just a little bit different design because what you're talking about there would be a design patent and design patents really are easy to violate. Somebody can make one little change, they're off and running. I mean, more solid are is something that would be a mechanical patent where it's a chemical composition or it's the next iPhone or the next uh, Polaroid camera, something like that, that where there's moving parts or something that goes together in a very unique way, certainly a patent would be uh, applicable. Now, when it comes to trademarks and pat- and um, copyrights, uh, I'm not going to go into this. We've got a wonderful, wonderful um, full hour recorded video on this very thing. But if you choose a name as an example, Let's say that Steve with his new course, Invention Protection Blueprint, all right? So he wants to protect that name so that nobody else uses Invention Protection Blueprint. Well, let's, let's, use, let's use 48 Days to the Work You Love because you're familiar with that and you can probably think about that. So I wrote a book with that title. Does having the book automatically protect the name? No, not at all. I mean, if you look up, uh, I'm reading right now, Ken Geyer's book, Windows of the Soul. I mean, you look up Windows of the Soul on Amazon, you're going to see seven or eight titles that are essentially the same, Windows of the Soul. So that doesn't protect it at all. Can I protect that name? Yes. As soon as I write it out and use it as a course title or book title, whatever, I can put a TM there, which means I think I thought of that combination of words first, and I'm planning to protect this. That would be a TM. Now that's not an official trademark at all, but it lets people know this is something Dan Miller thought up and he thinks it ought to be not used by other people. Then if you go through the process of getting a trademark, and again, you can go to USPTO, that's United States Patent and Trademark Office and check to see, has anyone else used something similar? I mean, that's the first thing to do. If they have not, then certainly to go through the trademark process is reasonable. I would never do that myself. You can theoretically go through that yourself for about $350. I would never go through that. There's too many tangents on how that's done, what it protects, how other people can use it and all that. And of course, I do have a trademark on 48 Days to the Work You Love. And with that, then we show a little R in a circle. An R in a circle, well, you're going to see that next to you know, Coca-Cola, 
you know, Pepsi, big Nike like that, the R in a circle means it has officially been trademarked. Well, golly, let me move on. Didn't mean to go so far in, into that. Golly, while I catch my breath here a minute, let me just pull this up. If I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, well, I'd buy. Well, I love that old song about what would you do if you had a million dollars? Now, we got a question here from Rebecca, and it deals with that. You know, what would change in your life? What One of the things that we have as a question in my coaching form when somebody applies for coaching is, what would you do if you, you know, got unexpectedly $7 million today? It's pretty telling to have somebody go through that and describe how their life would change if they got million dollars. Well, in the old song here, he'd buy a big house and a big car and all those things. And that's what people usually think of. You know, certainly when we hear about people winning the lottery, that's typically what they do. You know, gee, the next day they've got a, you know, Land Rover and a a Ferrari and a 10,000 square foot house, you know, and trips to Spain and Paris. Well, here's what Rebecca says. Good morning, Dan. Now, keep in mind, last week I talked about the Upper Limit Challenge. Why do people sabotage their chances for success? Have you ever struggled with that personally, where you had an opportunity, an idea that would maybe not give you just a 3 or 4% increase in income like you might get in working a traditional job? What if you got into an online business? We've profiled a bunch of people recently in the Eagles community who have done this, where they got on an online business, and now they, they're making four and five times what their current salary is. Well, you got to be prepared mentally, emotionally, spiritually to handle that. Otherwise you will sabotage it. So Rebecca says, good morning, Dan. My husband found a quote this morning, which reminds me of your recent podcast about the upper limit challenge. It raised an interesting question When is something an upper limit challenge, perhaps unconscious or disguised? And when is it a genuine lack of interest? It doesn't matter how much we make. I'm never going to be interested in this. (laughs) Is there a way to tell? I love this question, Rebecca, the way you lay this out. For example, I'm not a car person. I know you are, but then that's how you related to your upper limit challenge examples. I did. I used that as an example. But my husband and I were talking about cars and I said, I wasn't sure I'd ever be that crazy about purchasing a really high-end car because I'm just not a car person. I'd like to have a newer car. One of our cars is nearly old enough to drive itself. Uh, The other one is almost old enough to drink. Uh, That's cool. Great images there. But outside of noticing whether a car is a certain color, I'm an artist and whether it falls into my self-internalized car, station, wagon, truck, van, other categories, I've never really noticed cars on a detail level or cared about those details. My first car was older than I was and about a decade older than anything in my high school. I didn't care. I had a car. I could drive where I needed to go. I couldn't take that car to college, which didn't bother me. I couldn't walk. I could walk anywhere I needed to go on campus and quickly learn that when Walmart runs were taking place to hitch a ride. So given $70,000 to purchase a car, I'd rather purchase two lower end cars and replace both our cars. so My husband doesn't have to monkey with them so much or go on a trip or purchase something high end in the art world. 
When it comes to cars, do I suffer from an unconscious upper limit challenge? Or is this a genuine lack of interest? Is there a way to tell? I'll say my parents always bought used cars when I was growing up. They just bought their first new car since I was in preschool and always taught us to look for good cars, which will get the required job done quickly and with few problems. This could have had an impact. As far as I know, none of my siblings are car guys. I know in art, I'm often surrounded by people who have an upper limit challenge in art. They're not interested in it because they don't think it's for them. They're not for, or they're not very artsy. I love to show them how I work and tell stories about the art world, art feuds, famous oops, and art history, science of art, and so on. And I've gotten feedback. People tell me that I explain things to them so they can understand art, see improvement in their own art, make art interesting, and most importantly, make art approachable. So I can spot an upper limit challenge in this field. My husband says I need to start packaging what I do. I'm currently writing this while avoiding the how of that question. Perhaps I'm missing that in cars somehow and don't know it. But if despite everything I try, someone has no interest in art, mostly I'd shrug my shoulders and figure I'm in the wrong, I'm in the wrong person to introduce them to this world or they'll just never have an interest here. Just as I think, though I could be wrong, I'll never really have a deep interest in cars, sports, or some other things. So is there a way to, to tell the difference between upper limit challenge, perspective, to use an art term, and lack of interest? Rebecca, wonderful, wonderful question, Rebecca, and I'm sure a whole lot of other people had somewhat the same response. When I talk about the upper limit challenge, those areas where we can't break through to higher levels of success, for one thing, this is not just about more. You know, I cringe when people think that my only, that that I'm always coaching people to bigger and more. That is not the case. I mean, sometimes people ask me, you know, does everybody that I coach double and triple their income? No, not at all. And that, that is not the focus. Now, do some people do that because they really find their authentic place, find that gift that God has given them and moving. Yes, absolutely. That happens. But I also have, I mean, I had a dentist one time I worked with who was making about $350,000 a year. He was on heavy medication for depression. He so hated the life that he had created. There's some other things, really dramatic things we dealt with, but we had to get him out of that. He sold his dental practice. He went back and got an additional master's degree in family counseling. He now makes about $70,000 a year. How's that for success? I helped him move from 350 a year to 70. He loves what he does, says that he hopes he can do this till the day he dies. That's success. So it's not always about more. Now, when it comes to cars, and I'm going to deal with this because we're about out of time. When it comes to cars, it's not a matter of just bigger. And when I talk about cars, I mean, people would be blown away to know the reality of cars that I drive. And let me give you a little bit of information here. In Stop Acting Rich, Thomas Stanley, who wrote The Millionaire Next Door and The Millionaire Mind, you know, awesome books, wrote also Stop Acting Rich. He says the average price that millionaires pay for their cars is $31,367. We find that a whole lot of people who could buy anything they wanted to, they could buy a high-end Jaguar, Lexus, or the exotic cars, Ferrari, Lamborghini, and all that. You know what they drive? They drive a Ford F50 pickup truck. 
This is really interesting. That is one of the most popular cars for people earning more than 200,000. Now there's a range in there when people go from 200,000 to 500,000 where they sometimes get a you know a Lexus or an Audi or a more exotic car. But you know what happens when annual incomes go above 500,000? The F-150 pickup truck reclaims the number one spot. I love that. I love thinking about that. Now, what I look for in my own car excursions is I'm not, I mean, I don't, I hope this doesn't surprise anybody. I'm not looking to spend $100,000 on a car. I love cars. But you know my model for purchasing a car? For one thing, never have a payment. I mean, I've never had a car payment. And my other rule of thumb is I'll never spend more than one month's income on a car. Now think about that. I mean, you can frame this any way that you want to, but Rebecca, in your question, you said if you had $70,000, you'd buy two cars. I've never spent $35,000 on a car. I drive fast, flashy cars, but I have never spent $35,000 on a car. I have a hard time getting my head around that because it's so easy to get fun, reliable, really cool cars for a whole lot less than that. But my rule of thumb, no payment, not more than one month's income on a car. So if you make $120,000 a year, that's a $10,000 car. Can you get a good, reliable car? My gosh, no kidding, you can. So if you make $250,000 a year, that's a $20,000 car. Now, what about if you're on the other side? What if you make $60,000? Boy, with my model, that means a $5,000 car. Can you get a good, reliable car? You better believe it. I mean, I keep an envelope in my in my office with uh, just some uh, ready cash for if I spot something on a Saturday, set in somebody's front yard or whatever, you know, always ready, never in a hurry is another one of my mottos about cars. My goodness. I mean, it does not require big bucks. So in as much as uh, I talk about upper limit, maybe I've got an upper limit challenge in that, but I have zero desire, you know, to spend $200,000 on a car. I mean, we see them around Franklin here all the time. You know, they can be lined up, seven of McLarens, Ferraris, Lamborghinis, all those cool cars. I admire them, but no, I'm not going there. And maybe it is an upper limit challenge, but I have too much fun with the kind of cars that I get to drive. Well, keep in mind, our resource for today was 48days.com slash why. You can go there and figure out who you are, what you're ready for this next season of life. And back to our quotation for today. Let me go back to that. You can get fired from a job, but you can't get fired from your passion. So find your passion and you can always create work that matters for people who care.